0: All right, welcome to the MindWorks Podcast with Dre and Kev. Welcome, welcome back. back. Welcome back, boy. <laughs> All right. Got it. So today we're going to be doing, we're going to be learning about biopsychology, neuroscience, and human nature. A lot of stuff you're going to be learning today. If you're tuning in, tune in, advance your knowledge, get more knowledge up, do your thing, do whatever you got to do. Now, the first question is, is like, what is biopsychology, right? I mean, basically, it's the study of like the brain, the biology of and be, the biology of the brain, and we also study behavior and mental processes associated with the brain. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of different fun stuff. We're going to talk about contralateral uh, brain mechanisms. We're going to talk about neurotransmitters, neurons. We're going to talk about the frontal, the, the lobes, the four lobes of the brain. We're going to talk about many different fun stuff. Very interesting. Tune in. We're here, right? So let's start off with Let's talk. About another thing that's important to talk about when we talk about human nature and genes and, well, when we talk about human nature, it's important to also talk about genetics, right? I mean, how does the body work? How is it created? How do things really function within our process, right? Uh, when you talk about genetics, you got to talk about evolution. Evolution has fundamentally shaped psychological processes because it favors genetic variations, right? This is how we've Come to survive as far as we've have, right i mean it's interesting when you think about humans for some reason because it's like um humans are one of the only species that require uh you know people to to rely on others like you know other species don't really have to rely on their parents as much as humans do like human babies right like how is a baby supposed to feed itself? How is right. it supposed to walk? It can't even walk. Can't even. So it's very interesting when you think about like the, genet- the genetic variations in our own survival, right? We basically survive off of attachment, hmm. which is interesting. I mean, that's like an interesting psychological fact to understand, like the the uh, importance of attachment, right? Because as you're as, when you're born a baby, you cry. You're looking for nurturance, You're looking right. for some sort of uh, figure to help you figure life out and help you through it, right? So. If you look at other species like turtles, they hatch from an egg and they're able to walk towards the beach. They have um, the number one instinct of uh, themselves. They, they have the instinctual knowledge to like walk towards the light, which is like what they developed through their uh, evolution and their survival. Right. As humans, our actual instinct is to survive. Right. I mean, Every animal has that instinct to survive, but humans it's the most dominant instinct actually and that's why babies come out crying. They come out like, you know, many different forms I guess and whatever, but usually typically babies will either come out crying or they will come out looking for some sort of nurturance or eventually cry. I mean, some babies actually come out like not crying, which is interesting. Right. You've been in a labor delivery department? I not yet. Y- yeah, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I you have. have. And, yeah, and both of them <laughs> cried when they came out, both but cried. Interesting So does that have to do with you and your genes? Yeah, so that's my genes, right? Exactly. And that's my offspring, right? So, like, they cry. They survive. I'm here surviving. I'm paying my bills and whatever the case is. However, (laughs) we survive in a capitalistic society. That's another uh, case for evolution, right? So you're crying inside. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, about all that genetic stuff and things like that, that goes into all of, like, Darwin's evolution theory, survival of the fittest, which is, once again, it wasn't really quoted by Darwin. Darwin wasn't the one to actually say survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. He just wrote it in those terms, and people took whatever he wrote and, you know, simplified it to that sort of uh, quote, "survival of the fittest." Yeah. Right. So it's very interesting stuff. I mean, when we talk about genetics, we're going to talk about different types. But well, let's first talk about genes and inheritance. Right. Like, yeah, obviously, there's two parts of genes that are important to understand. There's your genotype, and then there's your phenotype. Your genotype is basically an organism's genetic makeup, and the phenotype is basically the Observable physical characteristics that you sort of uh, are visible traits and biological traits that are visible to an individual. So that's your phenotype. The way that you can remember that is like pheno, physical, P H E N O T Y P E, right? And physical, right? They kind of have yeah. like the same sort of context. Geno is genes, so that's like the genotype. Those are the two distinctions between the two. Uh, ways of understanding genetic inheritance. We always, we all get like the genotype and then we all get the phenotype. Like you're, maybe like your parents have both orange hair and you're born with orange hair. So that's your phenotype. phenotype. That's an example. Your genotype is all the complicated stuff, the organ, organism's genetic makeup. It's what makes you different from anyone else, basically. But an interesting thing about genetics also is that we're all uh, 99%. We all have the same genetics, 99% of, uh, you know, like, you and I share 99% of our genetics because we're right. both humans. I mean, when you think about the human structure, you got to think about how complicated our, org- our organs are. We all have a heart. We all have two lungs. We all have two legs. We all have five fingers, uh, ten fingers. We all have ten toes. We all have uh, hair on our head. Why does our, most of our hair grow on our head? Um, you know, we all have, like, all these um, similarities. The 1% variation is skin color, eye color, hair color, hair type, Things like that, but there's so much more to us than just our skin color and our, um, you know, our uh, physical appearance, right? Uh, so it's very interesting, like how our bodies even manage themselves and work, like our central nervous systems and things like that. So you know, that's just something to really understand that we're basically all. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all the same. <laughs> all brothers and sisters. We're all the same at the end of the day. Yeah, well, you know, you don't want to put in that concept because then it kind of like entails an idea of incest, right? Oh, okay. Which is kinda of like weird, right? But
1: we all came from the same mom and dad. Yeah. Actually. Actually, there's the
0: there's actually a um uh like a recent um uh incest family. Um let me see if I could find that up real quick. Incest family 2023. Uh, yeah, the Whitaker the Whittakers meet the Whittakers. Whittakers. Yeah, the Whittakers very interesting individuals. These individuals were America's. They are America's most inbred family. What? Yeah, they look like a crazy mean the most. They they look like a crazy the most. <laughs> Keyword the most. But basically, it's all in the family in the Whittakers, right? When you look at their faces and things like that, they come out oh, very those. combobulated looking, yeah. right? The surviving Whitaker family tree, currently composed of siblings, right? Most of them obviously died off, but all that's left are the siblings. And they look pretty um, interesting. If you see the picture, it's really interesting how they look, right?
1: I saw his documentary.
0: You saw his documentary? I forgot the guy's
1: name who does these documentaries with this.
0: Yeah, but basically they are very, you know, they're very inbred, very through incest. And they, you know, basically sister and brother, yeah. and constant of that within the family lineage, it led them to become almost like- Mutated. Uh, yeah, mutated to some degree, which is very interesting, right? Like um, how we're, our bodies genetically are kind of meant to be infused with mm. other genetics. Like, and if we infuse ourselves with our like ancestral genetics or family members and practice incest, that, that would actually lead to, to our demise. Going back to the idea of genes, right, genetics, we talk about the genome, right? Now, we kind of have already established the fact that through the Human Genome Project, it was already established how our genetics, our genome system is actually structured. So now we have an understanding of that more recently. I think that was like done in like, what, 2002 or something like that, 2004? One of those years. DNA, what is that? DNA is a long, complex molecule that encodes genetic characteristics. And then you have your genes. And then you have this idea of the genes, which are the functional units of a chromosome composed of nucleotides, right? And then you have uh, epigenetics, which is an interesting idea in the field of psychology. Epigenetics are genes that are being turned on and off by adverse effects. So anything can influence a person's uh, genetic expression, not the gene code itself. You can't really alter genetic codes. I mean, unless you're like a crazy mad scientist somewhere in a cave and doing so those So it's type more of if it's activated or not. If yeah, certain
1: gene part is activated.
0: Exactly. Certain genetic components within yourself can be activated or, or shut on. off or not even utilized, right? So for example, if um let's say I have I have a I have a uh I'm a very tall individual, right? And I start playing basketball, right? I'm activating my gene expression of being a basketball player, right? Because my environment throws me a basketball and now I can play basketball and I could probably even do well if I practice really hard and I'm expressing my genetic expression of possibly being a good basketball player because whatever it takes to be a good basketball player, obviously you need to have the genetic component of height, right? And that can help a lot in terms of a game like basketball, right? So, That's the idea of epigenetics is what does the environment express and what does it not express, basically. Interesting stuff, right? And then we talk about my favorite stuff, chromosomes, right? Genes and DNA, science. We're talking science here. Remember, science, guys. Chromosomes, tightly coiled thread-like structures along which the genes are organized, Right? There are sex chromosomes, right? And we all know the science behind sex chromosomes. There's the XY for male, mm-hmm. XX for female, XY. And the reason, the way that I remember it, honestly, using some form of mnemonics to remember it, is that the X, the Y is kind of like a man's ding dong, right? It kind of like hangs Like the Y, right? The X is just two like open legs of a woman, I guess. I don't know. Like, that's just the way I remember it. I mean, this is to help you guys remember these things because sometimes people just have a tough time remembering Uh, the difference. Whenever I test students, they're always like getting this question wrong. I'm like, oh, what is a, what, what chromosomes establish a male chromosome and a female chromosome? And sometimes students get it wrong. So I just want to help you guys to help you guys remember it by using some sort of mnemonic or some sort of imagery to sort of portray that the XY is a male and the XX is a female. So there you go. You're welcome. Now you're always going to remember me saying that, right? I can't unsee that now. Exactly. There you go. I cannot unsee it's, that it's, now. Now it's imprinted That's, in your brain. In my, my genes. Now you can remember it a lot more effectively, right? That's good, though. Yeah, okay. exactly. So, you know, once again, we're talking science here. Yeah. We're not talking no BS, gender ideology, subjective topics here. This is science, right? We're talking about neuroscience. We're talking about the brain. We're talking about human nature to some degree. And that's all science, right? So once again, stop with the non-binary thing. There's no non-binary sex, okay? There's none of that. If you want to classify yourself as non-binary, you have the freedom to do that. But by doing that, you're going against one of the most important entities of the world, and that's science. And, you know, if you want to, live in that imaginative world and suffer that way that's on you but i mean you know once again i'm not trying to criticize people who classify themselves as non-binary it's just something that i have to tell you guys to think about because when i teach this stuff and i'm teaching about the science you know and then somebody in the classroom is non-binary they're going to feel some type of way but i'm sorry to tell you that boy because like this is science. You have two chromosomes, the XX chromosome and an XY chromosome. So if you feel a type of way in a science class, which is science is typically related to reality, then you might want to question, are you really living in reality or are you living in your own imagination and what you want to be considered? I mean, hey, no problem with that. You can live that way, but I'm telling you, in the long run, it's just going to cause you more stress. I mean, what do you think about that? Uh-huh.
1: Well, um, hey, what, do you, what would you say to the folks who... You know, they'll say male, female, but then they'll use woman and men. So it's one of them It's more uh, the gender and the other one is like your sex type type deal. Oh, like gender. Or is it synonymous for you? Like female is a woman and a male is a man.
0: Yeah, it's more synonymous. Like it's more, you know, like sex and gender aren't too far off the spectrum when we're talking in scientific terms. Like I'm just about the science. Like. You know, so, yes, I'm going to refer to a female as a woman. Like, that's what a woman is. A woman is a biological female. Like, you know, like, it's just, that's the science. Like, why am I going to lie to you guys and then present it as, like, a woman is a biological male? No. Like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense. So, this is all about reality, guys. Like, this is just, I'm just teaching science. I'm, I'm giving you scientific knowledge. And we can even go further. And, like, you know, this is something that you guys just should, be understanding at this point. Like you guys have been po- following this podcast. Some of you have been following it since like last year, almost we're almost yeah, making a year. One. We have a year. yeah. And basically, you know, like you guys know that I just preach science and stuff like that. And sometimes I guess I preach my personal opinions on things. Cause I'm a human, right. And we have our personal opinions. That's perfect. But I'm more in the realm of that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's what I believe that a woman is a biological female. That's it. Like, I'm, you know, I can't, I mean, you can't tell me otherwise. Like what, how would you argue that?
1: Uh, some folks would say that um, their gene expression is different, and there's a small percentage of the population who may not o- align fully with the XXXY from what yeah, I've no, heard no, and read.
0: You're, you're right, yeah. It's a it, very small percentage. Yeah, a very small percentage. Uh, you know, when it comes to the idea of mental health, you also got to, like, look at the mental health statistics behind that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, it is, you know... Transgender people are eight times more likely to commit suicide than any other uh, type of person in the world. Mm-hmm. That's what does that say about the effects thinking that way has on you as an individual if you are transgender? You know there's nothing wrong with being transgender, but your suicide rates are pretty high, significantly high and you kind of want to question why is that right? Like is it am I living in this sort of like, imaginative world where I think this is what I am because I feel this way or is it because you know what I mean like the science is telling you otherwise like you know it's 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 a really interesting psychological thing but once again it's it's like something to question you know it's like think about it like once again nothing against transgender people but these are facts and these are scientific statistics and facts so like you have to consider that you can't deny that like, I have to, as especially as a mental health professional, we can't deny that. Like, we have to consider that. that Like, whenever we have a transgender patient or client, we have to consider the fact that my, my concern is your mental health. So I'm going to guide you, but I'm also going to be wary that you may, you know, have these issues of thinking of, like, life being less than what it is for you. And I have to keep that in mind, right? I have to use the science. Um, am I going to tell you that... If you feel like you're a woman and you're a man, that you're not a woman, no. If you want to classify yourself and feel like you're a woman, then by all means do that. That's fine with, that's nothing wrong with that, you know? Um, But you just want to really analyze how it's affecting you and making sure it doesn't make you go off the deep end. Right. You know what I mean? Very important. That's that's how we are as mental health counselors. That's how every mental health counselor should look at it. You know what I mean? That's just how it should be. Um, But anyway, so moving forward from the chromosomes, right? So now we got to establish XXXY move forward. Genetic explanations. Now, it gets very interesting when it comes to genetics because the question you asked earlier yeah. was, you know, does trauma influence our genetics? Yeah. Does like, it? Does, does it? Well, we know that it doesn't directly change our genetic code. Mm. It doesn't change any of our genetic code, our genetic makeup. But once again, it goes into the idea of epigenetics. Trauma can express certain genetic factors that are within yourself. So, for example, let's say I have a genetic component to be uh, neurotic or anxious or I have like a genetic component that's more prone towards anxiety. If I go through some sort of trauma mm-hmm. that genetic component of my anxiety is going to become expressed and therefore I'm going to experience anxiety more often which is one of the typical symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Right? So this is a very interesting thing because now we're getting into the, the idea of genetics and psychology. And how, like, the science and the psychology aspect intertwine, mm. right? So, we could talk about various different topics here. We could talk about intelligence, we talk about personality, we can talk about mental disorders, sexual orientation, reading and language disabilities. It goes into the whole concept of nature versus nurture. But as we know it today, it is nature through nurture. Oh, wow. I've right? heard of that one. Yeah, it's nature through nurture today, right? It's yeah. basically like, think about it what do you think influences intelligence? Is it more influenced by our genetics? Are we born highly intelligent or are we created to be highly intelligent is a good question to ask, right? What plays a stronger role, your environment or your genetics, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality of that question is, is that it's kind of like, uh, almost like research studies do show that the environment plays a little bit more of a substantial role in your intelligence level. So if you were raised as a child through a very highly educated, sophisticated home that had many books in it and you were read many stories and you were taught math at an early age from educated parents, yeah. you're more likely to have a higher level of intelligence than somebody who comes from an environment who might have a greater genetic code of being highly intelligent but lacks those resources. Okay. So that's why like intelligence tends to play a little bit more of a substantial role within the environment or the environment tends to play more of a substantial role in your level of intelligence which is i guess a great thing i mean you've probably seen stories of that you've probably seen like um case studies or stories of like uh, a child with two parents who aren't really that intelligent that probably come from like immigrant households and you've probably seen like an immigrant uh, a child of immigrant parents do superb in school and like you know like having that lack of education within their household because their parents are immigrants, so they're constantly working rather than studying and things like that, or they might study later on the road, but they have to survive. So they're mostly probably working. So that child can become very smart, and you see cases like that in schools. I'm pretty sure if you ask any teacher, they'll tell you, like, yeah, I know a few students that are very intelligent, but their parents, you know, are always working and, you know, are more like, uh, what do they call them, Uh, blue-collar workers or, like, just worker, like people who work in, like, I don't know, construction, yeah. or like restaurants, things High like that. High
1: laborers, and they might not even speak the language either. They might not even speak English. They might not even, a lot of them might not even know how to read and write. Mm-hmm. So I think that definitely that's a lot different than having parents who can do that, mm-hmm. who can kind of prep their child
0: for the world. Exactly. So and that's another interesting. Socialized that way. And that's another interesting environmental factor is like the language stuff, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like um, if you're raised by English speaking parents in an English speaking country, you are going to. Succeed more in that country than if you're in a country that spoke a di- that you spoke a di- your parents speak a different language of, right. you know. So it's a very interesting thing. And then we talk about also like the idea of being uh, bilingual and how that affects the brain. True, uh, that's a that's an interesting one too. But anyway, that's uh, intelligence. Now let's talk about personality. Now you know you guys know I'm heavy on the personality research. You know I'm I'm, I'm very like if I were to be a psychologist, um, you know which. I think I should, at this point, be considered. Why not? Because I've been teaching for seven years already. I've been working in the field as a therapist for eight years already. Like, I've been, you know, like, I've. I, if you put me in the ring with an actual <laughs> psychologist and we go boxing mind-to-mind, yeah. mind, like, on psychological knowledge, I would probably be Mayweather in that person. I'd be on the, my Muhammad Ali shit on that guy. Yeah, Why? Yeah. Because if they just came out of school... I'm coming out of experience. Hmm. Who's going to have the greater uh, knowledge of psychology? The person with the experience. I believe so. I mean, just give me my PhD already, APA, the American (laughs) Psychological Association. (laughs) I think you should really, you guys should really change that and consider that as like a way for somebody to get their PhD because like I'm in this field. Like if I were to take a PhD program, I'd probably ace the shit out of that program. And like You know, but I have to pay that tag, right? The one hundred and forty thousand dollars and stuff like that or for the six years seven years of studying which i've already done and research and research i mean that's why i would rather go for my side d rather than my phd Mm -hmm. because with the side d you don't really have to do the research with the phd you have to do the research and stuff like that but give me at least my side d come on you know like jesus but anyway so i'm heavy on the personality psychology stuff right so it's basically with personality and genetics it's typically like 50 50 for most character traits right I think neuroticism tended to have a higher like if you're talking about the Big Five personality traits. Remember the Big Five personality traits. You can remember it by using the acronym OCEAN, right? Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Nice. Those are the Big Five personality traits, right? That's gonna be on your quiz. That's gonna be on the quiz exactly. (laughs) That's gonna be on the quiz. (laughs) Um, The character, the personality trait that, according to twin studies, that show the most significance in genetic. Um, you know, variation in genetic uh, offsprings and stuff yeah. like that is neuroticism. neuroticism. It tends to be that. If you look at the Minnesota Twin Studies, interesting study of twins, you can see that neuroticism plays a huge role within, um, uh, you know, genetics and stuff like that. So if your parents are both highly neurotic, there's like about a 70, 75% chance you're going to probably be highly neurotic in which is pretty high and significant. That's pretty high. Yeah, you know, point seventy is a pretty significant statistical. Um, yeah. Thing, uh, so basically that is the personality stuff in when it comes to genetics. Mental disorders, very interesting stuff. What mental disorders are genetically inherited? Right. I mean, you know, we know that schizophrenia can be genetically inherited. Any offspring, any parents with schizophrenia can. Definitely have a child with schizophrenia, bipolar. And a very interesting one that we actually looked into was autism. Autism, yeah. You know, because a lot of times people think that, like, autism has some sort of environmental thing. Like, people blame the vaccines or they blame, like, all these other things. But a lot of research has been showing that autism actually has a strong genetic basis to it, not purely. Remember, never attribute psychological characteristics to genetics alone. Or to anything alone. To anything alone. We're talking about
1: environmental and genetics.
0: Remember, nature through nurture. It's not one or the other. It's nature through nurture. That's how we understand it in today's... It's non-binary. ...climate. (laughs) There you go. That's something I can agree with when it comes to non-binary stuff. (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny. And then we have an interesting one that most of you will probably find very interesting, which is... Sexual orientation. Mm. Sexual orientation is always a questionable one. I personally believe sexual orientation is more influenced by the environment. Mm. I do also believe that maybe to some degree there are some genetic variations that are strong within an individual, but it's not just one genetic component that makes that individual uh, gay or straight. It's a variety of it. Mm. Like there's different genetic things, a combination, some sort of combination code within all that. That's very complicated to understand that creates someone's sexual orientation. I think it's to that degree. And then whatever whatever is in your environment, once again, going back to the idea of epigenetics, it can express that. For example, child molestation, a child getting um, molested at a very young age, or a chi- bringing a child to drag shows and watching drag queens might express certain genetics. Yeah, drag story hour. These type of things can influence a child's sexual orientation to some degree. May not fully because it depends on the child's genetic variation from what their parents were. If somebody in their family has a sexual orientation of being gay or whatever the case is, there's a high chance that that child is going to have inherit that genetic code within themselves. And it can be expressed or it can't be expressed depending on the environment. Imagine. Imagine living in an environment where it's illegal to be gay, right? Like, it's illegal. Like, you, you, you will kill you if you're gay. Imagine living in an environment like that. Even if you have these genetic variations within yourself to be gay, that might be <clears throat> inhibited because of the idea of epigenetics. You're not going to be able to exp- get that genetic component of yourself expressed, right? Unless you go to a country that's more free, like the United States. Canada. and Canada. Oh, Canada. Forget Canada. Uh, forget and forget California too. I mean, those, those people are crazy. But like you know these things can really play a huge role in and, and sexual orientation. And when we' talking about sexual orientation, it's not just gay straight. It's also you know you talk about the more controversial stuff like pedophilia and things like that, right? Like how strongly genetic genetically related is the sexual orientation of pedophilia, mm. like to like to obsess over you know children and things like that on a sexual front. Like that definitely plays a role in genetics to some degree as well. And we know that through certain research studies that are case studies done on pedophiles, where they feel like they can't fight it themselves. Like it's almost like they cannot control it. It is who they are. It's like as if like that genetic component has such a strong connection to our identities that like it becomes who we are. Like if I'm straight, my identity becomes a straightened. If I were to be gay, my identity would be a gay individual and what that life entails. And I'll be more inclined and more in tune with that. And it's hard for me to change, which which is an interesting thing about sexual orientation. You can't really manipulate that or like change that to some degree. It's almost like, you know, it's just a strong thing. (laughs) So sexual orientation, very interesting when when it talks about genetic. We'll definitely get more to that topic later as we get through these uh, lectures, right?
1: Yeah, and you can't pinpoint, like you said before, you can't pinpoint what it is. Is it environmental? Is it genetic? Is it social culture? Is it trauma? There's there's really no way to kind of put a 100% on one thing.
0: Exactly. So there's like a lot of things to consider, right? So then yeah. we talk about reading and language abilities. And according to reading and language abilities, when it comes to genetics, it is environmentally influenced with a little genetics mixed in with that. I mean, if you start reading at an early age and you have parents that encourage you to read more, you'll probably develop some pretty enhanced reading and language abilities. So, you know, environment can affect that. Mm-hmm. Um, right? So those are the genetic explanations for psychological processes, which is very interesting stuff, right? And very interesting other things to consider is that there are, this, there's this idea of choosing your child's genes. Wow. playing God. Playing God. Imagine that. Imagine you could go to a uh, clinic and, and say I want a child with blue eyes. Yeah. I want a child with like black hair. I want a child with this, that, you know, certain skin color, whatever your preference is. There are technologies like CRISPR-Cas9. Mm. You guys ever heard of CRISPR-Cas9? They have been developed for precise gene editing. Look into it. While these technologies have great potential for treating genetic diseases, okay. their use in altering non-disease related traits in humans is highly controversial mm. and in many cases illegal or heavily regulated. Wow. Now, would you ever alter your offspring's genetics? Me personally no. No. No, I don't think not even. But what about if it's like uh, a cancer gene? Autism, cancer. No, I
1: don't think that's that's not in my control. It shouldn't be in my control.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because then it it plays with you're playing with like the timeline of life, right? To yeah. some degree like you're you're going into um, the deterministic realm and Jeez. messing with it, right? right? I don't know. Have you ever seen, you saw the movie The Flash, by a chance? No. Nah. Nah? Oh, yeah. Interesting movie. Basically, like, going, in, going into time and going back into time and just altering certain things could create a whole different timeline out of that. Oh, uh, wow. You know what I mean? I, I don't yeah, know. It's, yeah, like, an interesting yeah. thing to think about if, if, uh, if there is, like, a multiverse type of thing that, that exists. But, yeah, CRISPR-Cas9, something to think about. Very interesting topic. Um, You know, if a biological child of yours had a life-threatening illness, would you attempt to conceive a savior sibling also to, like, give its genetic code to that child? So, How about you? Would you? Would I? You I mean... To, the genes? to save a life?
1: Trade right, 2.0. I don't
0: know. That's an interesting one. It's like, I don't know, it goes against my conservative values. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't know about all that. But what do you guys think? Leave a comment in leave a comment below right that's tough so um one thing that i do want to talk about before we end this episode in terms of and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the brain in later episodes but i do want to talk about this idea of contralateral effects of like the brain right like how the brain i just want to introduce to you guys how the brain works contralaterally um, because i think it's a very interesting concept so what does contralateral mean it means that like Within the brain, you obviously have two hemispheres, right? You have the right, left hemisphere. Your right hemisphere works with your left side of your body. The left hemisphere works with the right side of your body. And the left part of your brain deals more with the language processing centers, and the right side of your brain deals more with spatial and perceptual and behavioral, emotional things and stuff like that. So what happens when an individual uh, has a tumor within the part of the brain called the corpus callosum? The corpus callosum is the part of the brain that connects the two hemispheres together, right? And if there's a tumor on that and doctors need to sever that part, it disconnects the two hemispheres from one another. And then that person becomes what is known as a split brain patient. And split brain patients are interesting because they kind of portray the idea of something called the duality of consciousness. So if I were to take a split brain patient and I were to put something in front of them, like a big board where they can't see anything behind the board, and I tell them, with their left hand, grab something behind the board and tell me what it is that you feel. And if they use their left hand to grab something behind that board and they can't see it visually, they cannot verbally communicate what it is that they're feeling even though they psychologically know what they're feeling. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's wild. And the reason for that is because the left side of the board that my left arm works yeah. with my right side of my brain, which doesn't deal mostly with language, right? It's the left side that does all the language right. processing. So because there's the, this connection there, I can't say that this is a ball or these are scissors or well, these a bottle of water, or this is a bottle of water. I yeah. can't say it. It won't allow me. However, if I tell that same person, take your right hand now and feel what it is behind the wall and tell me what it is that you feel they are actually able to communicate that verbally. Wow. This is a ball. This is a water. This is whatever. And that's that's the concept of a split brain patient and contralateral effects of, you know, how that all that stuff works in the brain. What do you think about that? That's crazy.
1: I believe it. I believe it. I think everything in our body has a certain job. And, you know, like this patient's, you know, when something is damaged, something's kind of going to be off. So I think we're going to continue to see that with science and technology. We're going to continue to, you know, advance in that level.
0: And Yeah, it's it's crazy interesting. The brain is like such yeah. a magnificent structure. Like We're still early in the game. And we're still so early in the game. And like understanding all this stuff is just so interesting. Now, one last thing that I want to cover, which I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, is the four lobes. I just want to introduce you guys to the four lobes. The frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, the temporal lobe, and the occipital lobe, right? Okay. These are the four lobes of the brain. What do each one of them do? Well, the frontal lobe deals more with processing and decision making and thought processing and things like that. The parietal lobe deals a lot more with like the somatosensory cortex and like the somatosensory stuff to some degree. It's part of that lobe to some degree. Um, And it basically receives data about sensations within the joints, the skin, things like that. And then your occipital lobes, as you can remember, like Oculus or whatever, occipital, deals with vision and sight and things like that. And then the temporal lobes, you can associate that with like a tempo. What is a tempo? A tempo is the the pace of a beat, right? So like basically temporal lobes deal with auditory stuff and things like that. And there are many different subcategories within the frontal lobes. There's so many different structures within the brain and things like that. But we are going to have to, unfortunately, end it here early on this interesting journey of neuropsychology and science and things like that within this realm. And we'll get back to it. Yeah, we're going to get back to it. We'll talk more about, you know, other areas of the brain, what other structures do, and we'll keep you guys tuned in. And I hope you guys had a great time tuning in. We'll catch you on the flip side. Peace. (laughs)